0: Today, what I want to talk to you about is, what do you expect? And that's a loaded question. Uh, There was a uh, a part of my history and part of what I do for a living, it was casting for different shows and things in television. And we would always have people get before a microphone when they'd come to audition and you'd give them a line to read, and then you would direct them from behind the glass and tell them to say it in different ways. So uh, I remember I had this guy that came in who was going to be the voice of God, in a, in a series we were doing And so a big guy And he was one of those people You had to audition If you get what I'm saying You know Had invested somewhere along the line You had to audition And the part he wanted to audition for Was the voice of God So my job on the other side of the glass Is he sees the line And I have to tell him Or I have to give him direction In terms of emotion So I said Okay I, I need you to sound powerful And God said Awesome good for you Big deep baritone voice Sound compassionate and God said. Sound encouraging? And God said. It was the exact same thing, no matter what I asked the Exact same thing. So, after you do it about 10 times, and finally, I'm realizing that the words that I use may not be the words he interprets. So, I thought, think of the happiest time in your life, that happy moment, that time when, oh my gosh, this is the best day ever. Say that line. And God said. <laughs> And so that's when you're like, thank you, oh, great job, awesome. And you're thinking to yourself, no, <laughs> right? Because what you really need is to be able to interpret things. And this, this line right here, it, it can be, what do, you, what do you expect? What do you expect? What do you expect? It's all in how it's used. It's all in who you're referring to. It's all in who you're expecting from that changes That whole question. I brought a video today that I try to watch two or three times a year because it reminds me of the basics of our faith in a really powerful way. So it's just a couple minutes, but I want to share it with you. explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither did the man. It was all an illusion. The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Like Down from above, he taught man to pray five times a day, facing east, and to follow five important times. If he was faithful, one day perhaps divine would set him free. The man praying his must be good. brings me back to my question, what do you expect? What do you expect? That word has been polluted and corrupted. Our expectations have now been defined by all sorts of things. But something that this helps me to remember is we are here today to worship the only living God, the only loving Savior who will meet you where you are no matter how deep your hole is. He will meet you there and lift you up. The only faith where the price of your salvation has been paid in full without you deserving, earning it, or even asking for it. That's why we're here today. And though that that little film is emotive, And it it makes me feel emotion whenever I watch it, because I realize that he will come and get me, that I don't have to climb the rope up the side of the dark hole, no matter what that hole is. There is hope in all of that. Do you understand the significance? The only living God. That's why we're standing singing today. Thank you, Jesus. We are not worshiping at a gravestone. We're talking about the hope that is ours today. He climbs in the hole every day for me when I find myself in that pit moment and he will pull me out when I don't have the strength to stand up. He does it for each and every one of us, no matter where the hole is or how deep or wide, it's chasm, he could care less. He will be with you, always. So what do you expect? What do you expect of your faith? When we've taken expectation that comes with, with love of God and Him, his love of you. And we've messed it up with what the world has told us. Don't have any expectations because then you won't have any disappointments. The way we treat each other, we think that's the way God will treat us. Thank goodness that is not the case. We all fall short. We, we all Blow it on a daily basis. We have all had our own holes and chasms. But the world has taught us, don't expect anything. When you love someone, don't expect it back. When you give someone something, don't expect a return. No disappointments. The avoidance of of the negative Keeps us from expecting good things because if we don't expect anything, then we won't be disappointed when it doesn't happen, and then we won't expect something beyond what could possibly happen. So we keep ourselves in that nice level of don't hurt me, which is miserable. That happens in our relationships where we say, well, you know, we see that at at Christmas, when you're so excited to give your, your child something and I heard a, a friend of mine just the other day talking, "Oh, we bought our daughter this thing. she's three. We bought it for her, we ordered it. It was six months back order. finally came in. We we're so excited. she played with the box. Right? Her expectations was here. The performance of the other person that you could not control was here, and that gap right there says, "I'm not doing this again." Hey, look. Sorry. It's, it's snow oh my god it's snow i had a friend a friend of mine went to work in antarctica and the first day she got there you know it's 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 you know it's snow it's a lot of ice and she's from here and she got there and, and she went outside and there was a penguin walking across the front and she ran back inside all the other people were in there eating or whatever and she said penguin and they all looked at her like oh, Yes, for real. Because they, you know, they see him. Where are you from again? But anyway, that's me with snow. Look, okay. All right, sorry. All right. Anyway, uh, uh, William Shakespeare said that expectation is the root of all heartache. Well, if, if you're afraid to expect love, then aren't you inhibiting your ability to receive it? If you expect everything to be horrible, how do you receive anything positive? Because everything's got a hook to it. All right, what do you want? How many times has somebody given you something and you look at them and you're thinking to yourself, now nah, I know there's a hook to this. I know there's something coming on the back end. What is it you want from me again? Then we get this. Advertisements, they talk us into everything. It's going to be awesome. We get there, and this is funny. It says, "Rotated to the most attractive angle. <laughs> they were comparing what they advertise with what you buy. We are greeted with disappointment on a daily basis where our expectations are not met. You know, you expect the Baconator to be that big sloppy thing that they had on the TV and you get there and it's a little, right? That's the same, I'm sorry, but I heard some of y'all talking, so. all right. So this whole facet of disappointment. Disappointment. We take what the world has taught us and then all of a sudden we think we have some knowledge that we apply to our faith and what God wants to do for us. And that's just not right. I'm going to ask you, what do you expect from God? Have you taken those disappointments that you see in, in life between hamburgers and relationships and you are just going kind to of cro- cut and paste that into your expectation with your relationship with the Lord? Are you afraid to expect him to answer your prayer? I was at a hospital once praying for someone, and I, I felt I'm, I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to speak health. When I pray for somebody, I'm not going to say, well, Lord, if it's your will. Because it's his will for me to have his will, which is the best for me, so I'm praying for the best. And the doctor pull me outside. He goes, you know, hope, hope is just, that's a horrible thing. Hope is a horrible thing. And I said, what do you mean? And he, well, well, you're giving them hope. What if it doesn't happen? And I said, what if it does? You're, you're not willing to risk being wrong. I'm willing to risk being right. You've got to get to that point where your expector is lined up with the promises of God. Don't you be ashamed or afraid to pray right what you believe God is telling you to pray. Don't be ashamed or afraid to pray the big things into your life. Your value system of whether you deserve it or not really doesn't match up to God's opinion of you anyway. So go for it. Ask for the big stuff. When Jesus was in the boat and all the disciples are freaking out, he's asleep in the bow. Did Jesus wake up and go, oh, my God, it's a small bateau. Which, buddy, you now know what that is. It's a small, it's a small bateau. He said bateau. Yeah. Is, is it? Yeah, he did, didn't he? Bateau. Uh, it's one word. There's no hyphen. But anyway, uh, uh, it's, it's, he didn't wake up and go, oh, my gosh, it's a small boat. It's a big sea in a small boat. No, he got up and told the sea, be still. And everything that Jesus did was to teach us how to pray, how to act, how to talk, how to walk, how to believe. So he didn't get up and curse the smallness of the boat. He got up and told the big sea to stop. And it did. And if everything he did was to teach us how to do it, then big sea, stop. I'm going to believe for that. And if I look stupid at the end of the day that the big sea didn't stop and my boat got sunk, I'm going to believe that when I get rescued, there's a ship of gold going to pick me up. There is a reason that God has a plan that may be bigger than what I can perceive or think. He's already told me that. Far more than you could ask or think, I got this. So I'm going to think as big as I can get because I already know that's a portion of what God can do. That's where I want you to get With your expectation Our expectations Are God's fortified promises God is able to do I I looked up different versions Because we get so used to hearing the same one over and over Far more than we can ask or think Kind of gets that monotone thing But this version said God is able to do super abundantly I haven't heard that word in a while Super abundantly far over And above all that we can dare to ask or think Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. Infinitely beyond. What does Buzz Lightyear say? To infinity and beyond. That's what we got going here. Infinite. Infinitely. It'll go farther than we could ever think. Many Christians never tap into that tremendous resources. The tremendous resources that God has made available to us. If, If we could only live like we expect him to take care of us. You say, well, well, I do. No, I'm talking abundance. We can expect him to take care of us because expectation is faith. The key that unlocks all that God has for you and wants to provide for you in your life is connected to your expectation. Matthew says, according to your faith, it will be done. You say, wait a minute, do I have to earn it? No, you just have to believe it. The things that you are afraid to think. Think them. As of I'm going to be debt-free. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Alright. The things that you shudder, that your checkbook argues with. Think them. The things that you hear on the news that, that diminish how you feel or who your God is. Disagree with them. Think yourself in it according to your faith, it will be done. Does that mean that in any way that, that you're earning your way into God? No, what he's telling you is believe for all things. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. That's in the book. And let's think about this a second. If you're coming at this from the world and I say, hey, it's the assurance of things hoped for, well, hope defined by the world is never, right? We all hope it happens. It usually means no, not going to happen. Hope in the original Hebrew is confident expectation. So whenever they use hope in the scripture, it wasn't, oh, I hope it'll happen, like, you know, I hope it snows. It was, it's going to snow. Got it? It wasn't, there wasn't a a question mark over the word hope. We've corrupted that word and made it mean maybe. And evidence of things not seen. Can you imagine if we're watching CSI and the guy's going through it and he goes, well, well, uh, well, Sergeant, all I see are some footprints. It might be here tomorrow. It would make absolutely no sense that there's evidence of stuff that hasn't happened yet. But that's God. God can see beyond what we can see. He can see what's coming. Sometimes our ability to handle that information is limited. There are things that have happened in my life that if God has said, this is going to happen next, I would probably have had a meltdown somewhere back here in this hole. Even though it was going to be good, I could not imagine how I'd ever get there. The world's law of expectation, and in many cases it is true, we get what we expect out of life. We tend to see what we expect to see, we tend to feel what we expect to feel, we tend to act the way that, that we expect to act. And eventually, we tend to achieve what we expect to achieve. And what is all that really saying? Your expectations influence your happiness. They influence your health. They influence your relationships. The world, that's just the world talking. Hey, when you expect nothing, you get nothing. Then there's that thought process that, well, you don't want to walk around prideful like, oh, I expect you to give me everything. You're exactly right. I don't expect you to do anything. I expect God to take care of me. There's a difference. I'm not talking about the pride of walking through this world. I'm talking about the, the humility that goes before God and says, I can't do it, but you can. Can you take care of this? Please help me with this. And He will. But the world tells us, hey, if you're going into it with a bad attitude, something bad's probably going to happen. And unfortunately, that is true. When you walk into a situation and you don't take the hope of Jesus with you that God is going to work this out, something good is going to happen, I'm not sure what it is, I don't have control of the situation, but God, you have control of me and my life, so take care of it, I'm walking confidently. If you can do that, then all of these things start to taper off a little bit, and you have some grace with people that you normally wouldn't have, and and you start to expect something different when you walk through your day. Scripture teaches us that there are, are two approaches to life. Right, there's two approaches to life and faith. And, and when we get to choose. We have such a loving, powerful Savior that can rescue us from any place that he says, look, I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose. Because, you know, and it's really, I mean, it's brilliant, really. Because he says, okay, you don't want to choose me, and you get in a hole, and you try everything else. I'm still here. But if you do choose me, there is a life abundant waiting for you. If somebody asked me the other day, he said, well, when you go to pray for someone in the hospital and, and they die and they accept the Lord that day, does he go to heaven? And you have that this day conversation where Jesus looked at the guy on the cross and he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. The minute you say it, you get it. Uh, and, and that's why people all of a sudden get hung up on well wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not fair he got, to, he got to accept Jesus in his last breath and he didn't have to live by all these rules and things I said you missed it he missed a lifetime of abundance far more than he could ever ask or think a life without worry and chaos though it was still there there was a hope that compounded it that said it'll be alright, I got you, I love you in those quiet moments he missed all of that He missed those those crying moments when when you're at the end of yourself and there's nowhere to go and he had no one to reach to. I don't ever want to experience that. But he lived a lifetime of those moments, empty, only to get to the last one to say, what do I do? I'm afraid. This is a this day. This day you will be in paradise. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you accept him as your savior? Yes, I do. This is your this day. Which gives you eternity of happiness. I had somebody stop me on a beach in Daytona one time, and I, I remember it because it was one of those times where you get witnessed to, which is really kind of funny for me because I, I love it when somebody tries to witness to me. I'm thinking, this is awesome. Somebody gives a hoot enough to ask. And they said, "Do you believe you'd be to heaven? Do you believe if you died today you would go to heaven? What is the percentage that you believe you'd go to heaven?" And I looked at him and said, "There's only two answers." And he said, what do you mean there's only two answers? There's thousands of percentages. I said, it's either zero or a hundred. Those are your two answers. So if you're sitting here today, what is your percentage of getting into heaven? Pick one. There's only two answers. Zero or a hundred. Zero is I deny God. A hundred is I accept Jesus. Easy peasy. I can ignore 1.9, 3.7, 8.2, 72.9, 85.6. I can ignore all of those numbers in between. It's either... In, out, or in? Pick one. But they were trying to make it a a mathematical equation, and the whole point was most people say 70%. Most people answer that question 70%. Because we've been taught to not be certain of anything, the Bible teaches certainty. We get to live by faith or by fear. We get to choose. We get faith is the optimist. Fear is the pessimist. We all dabble in between them. I understand that. But the Bible shows us the life of faith or the life of fear being on both sides of that. Job, who was the chosen of God. I don't know if you ever spent any time in that book, but that's, woo. that's intense. All sorts of things happening. And if you look at a synopsis, it'll say, uh, devil, devil basically went after Job. Devil talked to God. Devil went after Job. Job responded and said, I love you, God. Devil went after Job. Job responded, I love you, God. Devil went after Job. Job. And then finally, God stepped in and said, enough, right? In the middle of that passage, Somewhere, when, when all the boils and all the stuff was going on and everything was just overtaking him, there was this moment. Everything I fear and dread comes true. What if the devil is not nearly as sophisticated as we give him credit for? And he waits for us to inform him of what we're afraid of. What if? I'm not standing here as a theologian. I'm just saying, as Angela, that was a thought-provoking sentence. What if there's something in there, in the I, the, the fear and dread comes true part? What, what if in that fear and dread we, we really expose our lack of faith, that, that moment where we're questioning what, what could happen next? Oh, my gosh, and we become verbal about it. Oh, well, here we go again. Now what? oh there's two gotta be a third how many of those old things that we've heard all of our lives start to trickle back in oh here we go gloom doom what was that he all had the gloom despair and agony on me remember that you know deep dark depressive excessive misery any of y'all remember that time oh sorry all right i'm old all right so anyway do you focus on the outcome of what you want, or, or do you, or you, when I say you, I mean we, do we focus on the best outcome? It is really easier to focus on the things we're afraid of. We, when we focus on all that is missing and not on what we could be thankful for, we become more and more pessimistic. Well, I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have this, and this is awful, and that's awful, and what am I going to do next, and how am I going to handle that? And, and we go on down what I call the rabbit trail of gloom and doom, where we start with, I lost my pencil, and we end up with the house burning down. Right? We, we are very good at going all the way to the other extreme because we like to be prepared. <clears throat> See, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of those people. I like to be prepared. I like to have my stuff in order. I like to know where it is. I like to be prepared. If I need a pencil, I know right where it is. I got it. But what if I'm preparing myself right out of faith? What if God wants to stop it back at the lost pencil and he's whispering quietly to me, Angela's behind the couch. But I can't hear it because I'm so busy going down the rabbit trail of bloom and doom. My situation has overwhelmed things. Something to keep in mind with Job too is, is in, when we're in this thing and, and he's showing how faithful he is to God and he never cursed God and it was... He was very faithful in the middle of horrible things. It occurred to me as I read it over and over that Jesus hadn't come yet. That personal encounter, the, the, the witness, that greater cloud of witnesses. But then when we look in contrast and I look at Paul, Paul, on the other hand, was an optimist. Uh, I, I am eager. I'm eagerly expecting uh, while I'm going through all these trials. I have an eager expectation, he says in Philippians. Well, where is he? He is in a prison. I did a, a study on, we had to design a set once. We had to look at the prison that Paul was in. And it had a, a cesspool running right through the middle of it. Basically, all the, all the stuff would run down and go right through the prison system. It smelled horrible. Rats. Just to, to take a deep, clean breath was non-existent. It, it smelled of, of just rotting flesh and dead things. And, and he was standing down there going, I have an eager expectation I live of what God is going to do. Chained to a wall around a bathroom, for lack of a better word, and he said, I, I eagerly expect God to do something. He can be cheerful even in his situation was awful. He had seen, he had seen, He knew that there was a power that God had, that God had had brought his son to earth and that there was something big going on. He had seen. He knew that there was this this resurrection power. He knew. There were things going on here. Paul was the encourager. Even when people were chasing him throughout the scriptures later, he would stop and encourage the people. That was his thing. He loved to encourage. When you're expecting the best, you're honoring God. God. It also increases your ability to overcome when you're expecting the best. Athletes know this. They know that winning edge of attitude over ability. You know, when I was in college, I had a softball coach who'd always say, before you get up to bat, I want you to stand in the circle, I want, to see where you, want you to see where you're gonna hit it. See where you're gonna hit it. See yourself hit it. See you doing exactly what I've asked you to do before you ever step in that box. You be here, there. You be ready. Do you know that Muhammad Ali, lost only two fights in his lifetime, okay? Those two losses had one thing in common. The difference from all of his other fights was in that press conference, prior to the fight, he said, now if I lose this fight, he said that only two times in two different press conferences, and both of those fights he lost. In here, he was already overwhelmed by the information, overwhelmed by the arm reach of the guy, overwhelmed by his, his physical stamina maybe. I don't know what was going on. Maybe there was some yammering in the background. I have no idea. But nonetheless, in his head, he wasn't seeing a home run. He wasn't seeing a knockout. He was seeing, if I lose, I'm preparing all of you because my pride can't take it when you write about me. So I'm letting you know ahead of time that I'm prepared for that. How many of us do that? We're worried something bad's going to happen. They're going to say, look, I got it covered. If the house falls down and the pencil's lost, I got some over here, all right? Because we like people to know we're in control no matter what. Well, it's an illusion. We're controlling ourselves right out of God's blessings in our lives because we're so busy being proud of the fact that we're prepared for the worst, we're letting people know about it. He said it out loud. Hey, now if I lose this fight, now this is the same guy, stung what is it, you know, like a butterfly, stung like a bee, and you know, all that, you know, all that bravado, was afraid. But it was more, what he was more afraid of was that if he lost and you didn't know he was expecting it, that his pride would be hurt. He was already setting himself up for a backstory. I don't want to do that. I'm tired of doing that. I do do that. Nobody ever stands here with it all together in case anybody ever wondered. Sorry, buddy, but it's the truth. Nobody ever stands here with it together. We're trying to figure it out right there with you. But what I'm telling you right now is I don't want to go into a fight talking loss. If somebody's going to come at me, if something's coming, I want God to help me be prepared, make my hands like those cartoons. You know, where it's like, okay, I'm protected. I want to know that, that I'm, I'm in good shape, that God's got my back. And I don't want to diminish his power with this right here talking defeat. David, on the other hand, when he went to fight Goliath, he took five stones. Anybody know how those battles worked out? You get together. The two two camps would get together. Over there would be the Goliath side. Over here would be the David side. They'd meet, pitch tents, camp, eat, the whole nine yards. They didn't go... Then, somewhere in the process, this guy, you hear murmur, and they'd send their champion. One guy would step out. The David side looked at the one guy and said, just a minute. They go back. They get to now pick their biggest adversary to take on the one they've revealed is going to be their champion. They didn't have anybody that was confident that they could take that guy out. They looked, he's huge, he's enormous. David said, I can do it. You're too little. He said, I'm doing it. Somebody has to step up. You can't walk away. If you ignore the fight, they're all going to come get us. We have to do something. I can do this. David, meanwhile, in early writings, it talked about him as a child. Every family had a weapon. That particular family was a slingshot. It talked about how he could knock a fly off a fence post with a slingshot. The kid was good. But he was little. They even got together and said, all right, look, if you want to sacrifice yourself, basically, all right. And they tried to put all the armor on him. He was too little for the armor. He couldn't carry it. He couldn't wear it. Some of that armor weighed in excess of 300 pounds. He couldn't get it on. He couldn't put the helmet on. I don't need any of that. They thought he was foolish. So he takes his slingshot and five stones. You know why he took five, right? Because Goliath had four brothers. And he knew when he took him down, if the others showed up, he had enough to take care of them all. He didn't take six. He didn't take eight in case he needed to reload. He took enough to do the job if necessary. Everybody else was saying, he's too big. We can't kill him. And David was saying, he's too big to miss. What are you talking about? He was confident. He knew that he had something that God had put inside of him that he needed to let go. And the bonus of expecting the best is it encourages others. But in this case, where it encouraged others wasn't until he stepped up and did it despite them. While they were all going, let me protect you, let me help you, you just don't understand, you're You're too young, you don't get it, he's really going to hurt you, I don't want to go to your funeral. At some point, David, as young and small as he was, had to go, I don't need you to convince me that I can't. I need you to trust me that I can. Optimism is contagious. I tell you what, the minute the giant fell down, I bet there was plenty on his side of the camp that was rocking and rolling. It's kind of like the team you never expect to score getting a touchdown. <laughs> right? We are freaking out. But at the same time, we're freaking out. Aren't we all waiting for the recall? Wait, 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 wait. Is there a flag? Is there a flag? Oh, thank God. Right? This right here. He knew. He knew. He knew. There are things God has called you to do that you know, that everyone around you will try to convince you you cannot do, or you should not do, or maybe you're not qualified to do. Or they'll remind you of everything you did before you start to do what you do. If God has called you to do it, go. Learn and and practice faith-filled optimism. How do you stay optimistic? Optimistic even when everything seems to be going wrong. These six simple steps are things I am trying to engage in my own life. When you're looking at things going, Lord, what else? How, what do you want me to do? How do I handle this? Those things happen on a daily basis. We are not living in a, in a world where we're not going to have problems anymore because we're confident between that zero and 100 where we're going. We're just not in it alone anymore. Six simple steps to position yourself to receive God's best. Start your day in faith. In order for you to stay optimistic, even when everything else seems to be going wrong, whether it's work, school, family, finances, relationships, start your day with faith and expectation. Studies have shown, even out there in the world where they don't care about Bible or anything else, they said, "Look, that first 10 minutes of your day kind of sets the tone. Can you give God 10 minutes? And I don't want it to be 10 minutes of woe is me. I want you to find 10 minutes of thank you, 10 minutes of hope, 10 minutes of all things are possible. And you say those things to yourselves for 10 minutes and convince yourself that this book is true and real in your own life. Convince yourself and I'll bet you from one day to the next, your thank you list starts to increase. The first couple of days you're going, oh, it's hard to come up with the thank you list because my, my worries are overwhelming my thank yous. Then once you force yourself to be grateful, all of a sudden, that day two, you're like, well, thank you for this, and thank you for that, and thank you for this, and thank you. Your gratitude begins to increase as you start to pay attention. The things you never notice. You ever look at those dolphin pictures, you know, and they say, well, if you squint and turn your head, you'll see them jumping out at the, you know, that 3D thing? It's like that. But once you see them, you can't not see them? Very similar. Get your thank yous, get your day started, give yourself 10 minutes Let that 10 minutes grow. But I don't think it's unreasonable to ask. Give God 10 minutes. Start your day. One good scripture is, In the morning, O Lord, I hear my voice in the morning. I lay my request before you, and I wait in expectation. Does it say, and I wait, period? No, wait in expectation that God's going to do something that day. That's what it says in the Psalms. It says, look, I can bring them to you, and now not only give them to you, but now I can expect you to do something. Get your expector tuned in, revved up. Expect something good to happen. Number two, look for the good in your situation. Not everything is good, but for the good in the situation. For those who love God, who are called according to his plan, everything that happens fits into a pattern of good. Not of gloom and doom, not of horror and misery, not of I told you so, not of you deserved it, but of good. Good. God wants a pattern of good in your life. Turning lemons into lemonade. He's good at that. God specializes in bringing the good out of the bad. Thomas Edison, when he was 70 years old, 77 or so, or 67, there was a huge fire. It burned down all of his laboratories. And it took out all of his life's work. All of his research, everything, gone. When he came the next morning, people were expecting him to be devastated. They were like waiting, you know how you like see somebody coming and you're not sure what to say, and they're like. And he surprised them all. The next morning he walked among the embers and he said, There is a great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. He completely astounded all of them. Because instead of being devastated, oh my god, everything is lost. It's all oh, great, all those mistakes are gone. Let's go. We've learned from them. Not, we still, we're okay. God is still on the throne. He turned a stumbling block into a stepping stone. Look for the good in your situation. Better yet, look for the God in your situation. There are always opportunities for God to do something. Number three, give your problems to God. So, what should you do when the situation looks impossible? Well, we were, Colossians says, we were crushed and overwhelmed, and, and we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. But then we put everything into the hands of God. And he he can even raise the dead. And then he did help us. And we expect him to do it again and again and again and again and again. Expectations. Eliminate the negative. This is very hard. The realist in you wants to tell it like it is. Have you ever talked yourself into feeling bad? Man, I feel sick. Oh, uh, hopeless. Oh, I'm afraid of getting sick. I don't know. This might be awful. This might be, No, I might need of this. I might need of that. This may be it. You may really be feeling that way, but before you know it, all of a sudden things have compounded. The Bible says a lot about this. It says, don't use harmful words in talking. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up. Some people say, well, I've just wanted to tell you the truth. Well, tell me the truth, all right? No, Jesus loves you. Everything's going to be all right. God said so. I don't need your doubt to encourage me that things are awful. I can get to awful all by myself. I can do, it's like that. I can do bad all by myself. I can do awful all by myself, scenario after scenario. I need somebody to stand and say, you know, I don't know the situation. I don't know everything. What I do know is God is good. God is big. All things are possible. He said that. That's what I do know. So that's where we're going with this. The tongue's a small thing. It can do enormous damage. So if somebody said something that hurts you or something that's whatever, forgive them quick. Don't let it linger because when it lingers, it steals the promise of God out of your life that you can love, love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, long-suffering. all those fruits start to turn and wither because there's an unforgiveness in your heart that says, well, but remember he said. I can to this day remember people that I encountered even back in high school. that were counselors or things that said, oh, uh, you know, you can't be be an athlete and go to college. This was back in the day when things were really kind of in a box. I'll tell you what, every day, and I don't mean this pridefully, I just mean this victoriously. Every day I stepped foot on Harvard University, I thought to myself, I can throw a softball really fast. It mattered to me. That I could get there. But I I hated that there was this overcoming voice in my head that I had to get over. Somebody that planted a seed of no. Go ahead and evaporate the seeds of no now. If God's told you to do it, I don't care who's told you no. You need to not care about it either. Worry about what God has told you. Does that mean you go to them and say, well, I want to. No, I'm not telling you to go pridefully into anything. I'm saying go confidently with God toward where he's called you to be. Just like David, he didn't have a person in the back of him going, Go, David, go! He didn't have anybody. They were digging the hole to put his body in. Because when you lose, you know what happens? They cut off your head. They were already grieving. They were preparing. They were getting the stuff ready. Going to wrap him up, get the box, get the donkey. Got to carry him off. This is awful. Buys us a few days. If he'd have looked back, he'd have seen nobody believing he could do it. But he looked up and believed God was going to help him. And you know something, the disposition of those behind him when he turned around victorious certainly changed. The shovels were dropped and the hole was filled in. You've got to be like that. If their tongue is the rudder, then guide your ship. The last one, find somebody positive. Better yet, become somebody positive. There are people that we have to tell truths to when you have to say, don't do that, that's gonna hurt you. Don't do this like Nicholas, I have to tell him all the time, be careful with this, as a mom, that's my job. And sometimes the things you say aren't necessarily that make you feel like, you better doo, cause that's what, you know, don't get in a mud puddle, get out of the rain, stuff like that that you have to say. But somewhere offset those with, you're called, you're amazing, you're awesome, I know you can do it. I'm telling you this because I love you, I know that you can accomplish these things, I know God's got it for you, I know God has a plan, God loves you, God loves you just like he loves me. There's an amazing call on your life. Speak call into people's lives because we all have one. which is just a lot of people haven't tuned into it yet. That, wow, I'm really good at this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. Maybe that's that call. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or sits in the seat of the scornful. Well, there's two, two uh, uh, polar extremes there. One is sitting and listening and one is becoming one. So you've got to decide, who am I going to be? Who's the voice of Jesus in me going to be? And you've got to remember your future. When you're discouraged and you want to be optimistic, remember your future. The Bible calls it a blessed hope that if you are a believer and you put your faith in Christ, the final chapter of your life is not written. This life is not the end. There's a heaven and a Savior. There's a story of a... A missionary in Africa. And it was back when Roosevelt was president. And they had lived their whole lives being missionaries. And they were coming home to retire. They were done. They were were sick and old and coming home. And when they got on the boat, it was the same ship that Roosevelt was getting on. And as they waited in line, there was the the pomp and circumstance playing for him as he climbed aboard the ship. Because he'd killed a lion. He'd been out hunting. So they were all, woohoo, the president. After after all the pomp and circumstances done, these people have dedicated their lives to the Lord and had lived in swaller for years, knowing they were doing what God had called them to do. Nobody greeted them. Nobody helped them carry the bag. They just quietly got on board. Well, during the ship ride, that the older man started to say, "You know, it really bothers me that nobody cares. Nobody greeted us. Nobody cares. All these years, I know we did all these good things, but nobody. It just, there's just, you know, there's that moment where you just wish somebody would say thank you." Want well, to get back to New York, the ship pulls in, they pull up to the dock, there's the huge contingent, the president's going to get off now, he's got his lion, and they're climbing off the boat, and everybody's cheering and hurrahing. and the president gets off, and they wave goodbye, and again, they're in the back of the line, the last one to get off. Well, when the guy finally got off the ship with his wife, they went and rented a little bitty apartment, they didn't have very much money, they were really poor as a result of their life of service, and and... But they, were, they knew his wife was like, you know, we're rich in spirit. We have done what God has called us to do. He is going to be faithful. She said, you need to, to quit pouting and moping and go talk to Jesus. So he went away and he talked and he came back. And all of a sudden, a day later, he comes back with this countenance change, this disposition change. He's excited. And she says, what happened to you? And he goes, I got, I was talking to Jesus. And, and I said, you know, Lord, we did all this. Nobody cared that we left. Nobody cared that we came home. Nobody cared. And Jesus said very simply to him in his prayer time, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. He was all worried. Nobody welcomed him home. He said, wait till you get here. You're not home yet. There is a celebration for all you've accomplished. You're not home yet. You're not done. Why do you think you're going to arrive right now? You're not done yet. And he had hope because in his heart, he thought it was finished. And until you cross over and Jesus shakes your hand, you're not finished. None of you. God is abundantly able to super abundantly far over and above all that we can dare to ask or think. Infinitely, beyond our highest prayers and desires, thoughts, hopes, and dreams. He's able to do all those things. Your Savior, my Savior, our Savior is generous, not stingy. And your faith is powerful. Remember, you have the honor and the privilege of knowing personally the only living God, who is the only loving Savior that will meet you where you are, no, no matter how deep your hole, and lift you up on a daily basis. The only faith where the price of your salvation has been paid in full, without you deserving it or earning it or asking. Where all things are possible. He offers you the assurance of hope, the peace beyond understanding, the joy of expectation through faith, and that fullness and fulfillment of his promises. And scripture says, and he has proven time and time again, he always keeps his promises. Not one has he ever broken. Not one. So I'm going to ask you today to do something really risky. Have faith. Expect something good. I remember as a little kid, my mom, early in the morning, we'd get up and I'd hear the preacher show going on in the the living room and I'd hear that song, Something Good is Going to Happen Today. Do you all remember that? Something Good is Going to Happen Today. Jesus of Nazareth is Walking My Way. Start your 10 minutes with that and see what happens. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that something good is going to happen today. We thank you, God, that we now expect good things. That we expect you to take care of us. That despite what we see and our circumstances, our checkbook, our health report, whatever, we believe something good is coming out of that. That you have your best in mind for each one of us. So today we, we are going to make a, a point to change some of the things we're thinking. We're going to make a point to walk as though we win because we do. We're going to start to act like it. We don't have to walk around pretending that we are defeated because we win. We don't have to, to say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, God. I, I just don't know what I'm going to do with all this worry and fret. And I know what I'm going to do with it. I'm going to give it to you, Lord, and you take care of it because I don't know what to do. And that's okay. Because what I know to do now is to trust you for your best. So God, if there's anybody here today and they are asked that question, where do you stand with Jesus? Are you going to heaven? Is it a zero or is it a hundred? Where are you going? There's only two answers. I pray God that if they're there today, right now, this moment, one simple sentence changes it all. Jesus, I accept you as Lord and personal Savior. Now your answer is 100. No longer walk with a doubt. No longer walk with a percentage less than that. Because it is done. It is finished. Just like the man on the cross said, today, this day. Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Your this day is secure. Now live with hope and confidence of all of God's promises for you. In Jesus' name, amen.